Let's turn our attention to Scripture today. <clears throat> our Old Testament text is from Isaiah chapter 45, verses 20 through 25. This is spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah to the people of God down through the ages, though specifically to those in his own time. But listen here to God's word. Gather yourselves and come, draw near together, you fugitives of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idol and pray to a God who cannot save. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow Every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him. And all who were angry at him will be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Amen. Then our Christmas text and our first New Testament text is from Luke, the first chapter. <clears throat> we'll read verses 39 through 40, 55. The backdrop here is that uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth the, uh, have been pregnant for about six months. Mary herself has received the angel Gabriel who's come to her and said, you're going to be with child, and she is with child. And as she is with child, she goes to visit her kinspeople, her kinsmen, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, who are in a different part of the, the land, nearer to Jerusalem. And this is what happens. Listen here to God's word. Now this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, that is John the Baptist who's in her womb, going to be born in due time, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of that what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Amen. 
And then Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, is the part we'll read today. We actually catch it up right in the middle of this vision that uh, John has and this experience he has. But we'll explain the earlier part from the pulpit. Listen here to God's word. And I saw in the middle of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the middle of the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took, that is he, the lamb, came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's word, which we've read. Gracious God, we are here before you today in a service of worship to honor you, to sing praise to your name. But we're, Lord, we're also here, Lord, because we desire to hear from you. We desire, Lord, to have your spirit and your word work within our lives, our minds, our spirits, our souls, our bodies, and do your good work. That work whereby you fashion and shape us and make us, for we are your workmanship. You created us that we might do the things you've prepared for us. So come and continue that workmanship in our lives this day. We pray through Christ Jesus, our Savior, the Lord of all. Amen. Last week I ended my sermon with the exhortation that we should be looking for the lion that is worthy. Verses 1 through 5 of chapter 5 of Revelation set that up. They describe, those verses describe the awful plight of the cosmos and of mankind uh, where things cannot happen as they should. We're all lost and things are in a state of disrepair and the will of God seemingly cannot be done. That was all represented to us by the scroll with seven seals that could not be opened because no one was worthy. And remember, John has great weeping and lamentation because the will and purpose of God cannot be accomplished. Uh, and so he begins to cry. But then an elder, an elder, one of the elders, 24 elders, says, stop it. Stop your weeping. Why? Says, because the lion of Judah has overcome and he can open the book. He can unseal the seven seals and open it up. So that's where we stopped. So we, like John, wanted to be looking for this lion of Judah that's going to take the book that has the plan and purpose of God all taken care of there, going to open that up and have it done. And we, like John, we turn and look, and we don't see a lion at all. What he sees is, in fact, a lamb standing as if slain. Now, here we begin, we need to say, what is our very first basic hermeneutical or interpretive rule to follow 
in Revelation 5. If uh, you could put that up on the screen here. Are they, are they, are they aware? They, got it here? they do. Revelation 5 is not a photograph. It is not a video. Where there's a one-to-one correspondence. It's a representation filled with symbols. And so we need to understand that and make sure we calculate that appropriately. If we don't do that, we're going to get messed up. So what did John see? You can take that down now. Thank you so much. Uh, He saw a throne. The throne means that's where God sits. That's the God's in the throne. Remember our five basic questions? The first one is, who's in charge? Well, the guy on the throne's in charge. So is there an actual throne where God sits? Well, I don't know that that's the case, but God rules. I don't know that he needs a throne. He's enthroned in that sense, but God's the one in charge. He's, he's there. He, saw, he sees a throne, and then he sees four living creatures. We had introduced these. He had introduced these before. The four living creatures we indicated were angelic beings, represent all the angelic hosts of God. They're all there. And then you have the 24 elders. We said that represented all the elect of God down through the ages, gathered there together. And uh, they're, they're doing this before God. So what John, when he turned and saw what he saw, <laughs> he saw God, he saw angels, and he saw mankind. Now, project what the, the text really says, because even the way that the New American Standard translates it, the New American Standard translates it, I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, the lamb standing as if slain. In the marginal reading, it says, what it literally says is this, in the middle of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the middle of the elders. That's important. We say, well, how how can he be in the middle of all that? Well, again, if you're looking, trying to think of that as a picture, it's hard to conceive. But remember, this is, this is representational that we need to get the impact of this. And what we need to understand, John receives, and we need to receive, is that in the middle of everything that concerns God, angelic beings, humanity, the whole cosmos, in the middle of it stands this lamb. Right? At the center of all, all stands this lamb. If you don't see and understand this lamb, you won't understand God, angelic beings, or humanity, and all the stuff that goes with that. It's, I think that's what it's saying. Uh, and at the center of all this is God's will. And the lamb is able to take that book, unseal it, and accomplish the will of God. So we need to know, and we need to know about this lamb. It's very important. So it says, the lamb as if slain. The term lamb is used in the book of Revelation 28 or 29 times. Used a lot. More than all the rest of the New Testament combined. Just in this one book. And as if slain brings to mind, when you think of the Bible, and you think of lambs and hear slain, what do you think about? That some wolf came in or that some guy had a, decided to have a dinner? No, no, no. You think about the altar. You think about the temple. You think about the tent of meat. You think about the sacrifices where lambs were ritually slain. Their blood was given us there and their flesh was consumed. 
So the lamb, the picture of that is a, a sacrifice that's used in the temple of God to try and make a way between God and man, to reconcile man to God. Now, the lamb is standing as if slain, right? But he's not slain because he's standing and he's not dead. He's been slain, but he's not dead. He's described this way. It says he has seven horns and seven eyes. Now, I didn't read what I'm going to tell you now in a commentary anywhere. This is just me. So, you're welcome to boot it out. You're welcome to, well, don't laugh out loud right now, but you can laugh out loud later on if you want. But I think what we have here represented for us is a picture of the Trinity. Okay? thing that's so hard for us to do. Because this lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. Now, horns always have in the, the scriptures been stood for strength, for might, for power. Okay? And the number seven stands for completeness and fullness and all that. We talked about this back the very beginning when we did the seven churches. Uh, so I would suggest that the seven horns represent the almighty power of God of which there's nothing greater. <coughs> that is to say, the Father is right there. Almighty power. The eyes, the text helps us. It says these are the spirits of seven spirits of God. The eyes represent seeing or knowing. And these eyes, they see, they, they know everything. They represent omniscience. Okay? And so it's the Holy Spirit. You have God the Father with the power. You have the Holy Spirit with the discernment, with the knowledge. You have omnipotence, omniscience. What's the one thing lacking in there? Is mercy or loving kindness. And these things are joined together in the Lamb who shows and displays and, and carries out the loving kindness and mercy of God. And John sees this, and, and it's an impression, if you were to say, it's a painting, that, that, as it were, that comes in, and uh, he experiences this power of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this Lamb, who is <laughs> this, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God, the Son of Man. And he, this lamb, comes and takes that book out of the right hand of him who sits on the throne. He takes the book and all blank breaks out. What do you think breaks out? And all rejoicing breaks out. Not all hell breaks out, which is what we're used to thinking of, but all rejoicing breaks out. We're just, well, how can this be? What's going on? Uh, why? How? <laughs> well, the four living creatures, all the angels, the 24 elders, all the elect of God, they all fall down before the Lamb. That is, they worship. They acknowledge that He's divine. It, all throughout Revelation, the angels are continually telling John, get up. Get up. Don't worship me. Worship God. Here they all fall down and they worship the Lamb, which tells us He's God. They worship Him. They praise Him. They rejoice in His presence. Now, each is holding something. A harp and a golden bowl. We want to take stock of that for just a minute. That's pretty esoteric, isn't it? Esoteric means it's sort of 
otherworldly. I'm not quite sure I know what to make of harps and golden bowls. How many of you have a harp? Justine, keep your hand down. <laughs> How many of you have a golden bowl? You might have a golden We don't often have harps and golden bowls. So how in the world do we identify with this at all? Uh, And we know that everyone in heaven has a harp. Well, what's it represent? Now, I think a lot of folk, some of whom are sitting right here, are not that enamored with heaven, the idea of heaven. I'm going to have a harp. I'm going to play a harp. Man, if that's what heaven's like, yeah. I'd rather go do some welding, cut down a tree, read a book. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, why in the world does this text, why does God, who wrote this, why does he have it represented this way? Suppose, I were to say, Pastor Michael, Michael Hughes, would you join me up here and let's sing a trio? No, you don't have to do it right now. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Don't get up. (laughs) None of us, now let me tell you this, I'm the best singer of the lot. (laughs) Of those three, I'm the best singer, okay? (laughs) And and, and if that's the case, we would do a pretty poor job. You would see our our incompetency. And do you like to do things you're incompetent at? No, we want to do things we're competent at that we feel good about. Now here's what, here's what those harps represent. Remember, we don't have a photograph here, we have a representation. Those harps represent the ability to praise God perfectly, fully, completely, all the way that he should be praised. And you want to do that. Michael and Mike and myself, we want to praise God and sing his glory as loud as we can in the right good way. We don't do it very well. If, if, if I could sing like some singers we have here this morning or other places, that'd be so wonderful. I'd love to do it. What God is saying here is that the angels and humanity, the redeemed of God, have harps and each, each one has, it says each one has a harp, okay? So each one is able, finally, fully to praise God as he should be praised, as our heart wants to praise him. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We hit the right notes. Here's one that bothers me. We keep the beat. You know, you guys start clapping. I'm always off. I don't know why. But I have a harp in heaven. Now, not a real harp, but it represents, right? It represents that I can sing and praise God perfectly, right on tone, right on tune, right on beat. So can you, if you're there. How about those golden bowls? What are we gonna make of them? Well, they're golden bowls. So they're precious and they're highly valued. Pat, do we have any gold bowls? Nope, we don't. If we had one, would it be precious? Be valuable? My wife agrees that would, so I'm in agreement with my wife here. 
that if we have a if you have a golden bowl, a, a goal a, a bowl made out of gold, it's precious, it's valuable, it's it's to be esteemed, you know. And uh, these golden bowls that each one has, one of these, is filled with incense. Now, what in the world is incense? Incense is something that delights the nose. It's a enchanting and good and pleasing fragrance. It's it's good. It's you say yes, that's right. It makes the atmosphere to be what it should be. And it tells us here what those golden bowls are. The prayers of the saints. Our prayers here down below offered as well they're uttered in weakness. They're often uttered with stammering lips, can't quite find the right word, perhaps, or words. Yet they're received by God as incense from bowls of gold. That's how they're valued. Now, if you feel like, I can't pray very well. I don't know that I can express that the way it should be done. Come back and read this. See what it says. It says, in God's economy, the prayers of the saints are like golden bowls full of incense, and they're pleasing to God. We ought to pray more often, not less often. It's pleasing to God, no matter how inept or inarticulate we may feel that is not the reality. So, what's the cause? I gotta take a drink, hold on. <coughs> what's the cause of all this? <coughs> Why does all rejoicing break out? I have to hurry here. Uh, because of the Lamb and His work. That's what it says right here. He's worthy to break the seal. His work, what he's done. Uh, who is this lamb? Show him up here who he is. He's the only one there is. There it is. No, no, no. Next one. No. It's 1 Timothy 2, 5. He's the only mediator between God and man. Michael, did you leave that one out? It's his fault. Okay. He's the only mediator between God and man. So if there's any hope that this scroll is going to be fulfilled, if the promise is there, God's plan's purpose is going to be done, which encompasses all the cosmos, if it's going to be done at all, it must be done by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb. And so they see that and they, they fall down, they worship, they rejoice because He has done it. He's done what had to be done. There's no other way, there's no other means. It's either Him or we're lost. But he has done it, and he, has, he gave himself and purchased for God with his blood. Listen to what it says, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Rejoicing breaks out. What we thought could not be accomplished is not only going to be accomplished, but all across the world, all around the generations, all the way, God is going to accomplish something that we would never have thought. Now, God's plan for the ages 
for ages is realized by Mary. You know, she is the one who the angel comes and she gets pregnant from the angel and uh, is pregnant with the Lord Jesus Christ, who's truly God and truly man. And she rejoices as well. We read the Magnificat today. The very end there, there's the last verse where she says, you fulfilled the promises to Abraham and all the fathers. What did God promise to Abraham? Here's the one you want to put up. What did Mary rejoice in? The promise to Abraham that Mary references in the Magnificat is what? And in you, in Abraham and his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's the promise God made back in Genesis 12 to Abraham. In you, in your seed, all, not some, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And of course, the whole Old Testament is a series of, of, of examples where they're not. They're fallen. They, they keep falling away. But God's promise that He will bless all the families of the earth through the seed of Abraham. That's what Mary rejoices in. And she's glad for that. Uh, and so the church is commissioned by the Lamb to be His witnesses. Okay? To be His witnesses, to proclaim the, who God is, what He's done through the Lamb Himself. And how are we doing at that? Let me give you some data. Could you show the first piece of data that we have here? This is from the Joshua Project. Uh, how many people groups are there in the world? The total number of people groups in the world equals what? 10,429. Now, that's not how many countries there are, but the text here does not say countries. It says from every tribe, tongue, language, and people, and nation. There are 10,429 people groups in the world. How many of those people groups are still in darkness, have been unreached? Is what? 4,605 with a total population of 3.19 billion people who this day are sitting in darkness. Now, we're, we're glad that we have 7.67 billion who have some, the light has reached there, and there, you know, there's believers among them that say all those people groups have been totally converted. Now, what is that? Let's see what I have next. Uh, well, that means that 41.6% of the world's population has no gospel witness. They're sitting in darkness. And again, what, what the Lamb came to do has not been done among them because He's commissioned us, the church, to be His witnesses and go and do that. And the church has been about that for 2,000 years, and that's great. Uh, it's wonderful that she should do so. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about our efforts in India. Can we do the India slides now? The world's least evangelized peoples are concentrated in India. You know, we've supported uh, work in India among unreached peoples for over 20 years. We have a special project going on now. Now, what's the next little slide say? How does that add to that? India has 159 people groups of over 1 million persons. Okay? 159 people groups of over a million people, but how many of them are unreached? 133 of those people groups are unreached. There's no gospel witness there. Hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, there are hundreds 
more people groups of less than a million. Those are just the groups of a million or more, of less than a million that are unreached. One of those groups is the Irukala, who we're seeking to reach these next three years. The Irukula people group is among them. We can rejoice before God, we can sing before Him, because He has provided the way. We're the means by which that's going to get there. He provides the, 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 the work of the Holy Spirit to bring the light, but we have to go. Now, we can't all go to India. If we all went there, we'd probably be dead in about a month, most of us, because we don't have the inoculations and stuff that we need. But there are people who can go, who want to go, who God's commissioner, and so we get to help them with that. Uh, and support them in that. Now, here's the simple truth that we read in Isaiah that we need to know. I'm over. What is this from Isaiah? We read it this morning. There is no other God besides me, God says, a righteous God and Savior. Do you hear that? Do you believe that? All these, all those people groups that are unreached, they have gods, are a God, and they worship them. They have gods. It's not that they're not, they're not godless in that sense, but there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and Savior. Turn to me, he says to the peoples of the world. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. You know, we can rejoice before God because we know that Christ Jesus the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world, died to purchase some people from the Irukala people group. Even though they're an unreached group now, he's, he's purposed to reach them. We read from our text right here. And we are engaged in reaching them. Now that's far, far away. There are plenty of people around us who are unreached people who don't know about the gospel. I'm continually surprised and amazed that though we live in a Christian nation, Christian foundations, many people don't know anything about the gospel. We need to re-reach our community, America. We would not qualify as an unreached people group, but we need to be re-reached. And so we want to let our light shine just by the things we do and, and then by our conversations. And we can rejoice. Christ Jesus, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, has his own people out here all around us. We simply need to walk through the doors, share the light, and God will bring people to himself. May God work that way in us, we're willing to do that, and through us so that it is accomplished. Amen.